give you what you need In the middle of the night You are all I see Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to now be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Alabama, my guest is a singer-songwriter who has quickly burst onto the scene. She is currently number one on Reverb Nation for Gulf Shores, Alabama for singer-songwriter-slash-blues-slash-americana-slash-jazz. She hosted and helped create the largest songwriting competition in the Gulf Coast at the famed Florabama. She has already been accepted into three songwriters festivals. She is in the midst of playing just a boatload of shows. We'll talk about those in a minute. And she will be recording later this month. You've been hearing a live version of one of her songs entitled Song Number 11, which aired on the 30A Songwriter Radio Show. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Melissa Joyner. Hey. <laughs> Melissa, I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Um, I know that you just literally, in time for this interview, got off the road. This is kind of a flashback. Uh, Listeners, if you downloaded episode 16, uh, R.B. Stone was calling in from on the road, literally on the road in Ohio. Um, So I appreciate, Melissa, that you've literally just come off the road and and are making time uh, to do this podcast today. Well, thank you for asking me. So, listeners, um, Melissa is humble, trying to pass herself off as really being at the beginning stages of her career. So, on the one hand, I thought it would be good to have you on, Melissa, sort of as the voice of the listener, all the singers, the songwriters, the artists who are downloading the podcast every week because they want to learn more about getting ahead with their music. But I also wanted Mm -hmm. to have you on because, gosh, if if this is the beginning stage, I can't wait to see how quickly your career it's going to take off. We're we're going to make our way through all this, but for starters, you say that you've only been playing guitar seriously for about seven months now. Right. You know, in college, I would learn a chord here, a chord there, and I took a songwriting class, and, you know, I realized everybody there could play other instruments, and I had just been singing. So I tried desperately to learn a couple chords, and, you know, I've grown up with some great guitar players, so I'll get frustrated, so I just kind of quit. And then I would come, I moved back home after I graduated college in 2013, and I uh, went to Frank Brown, and it's really inspired me again. I was like, you know, I really, really want to do this. And, you know, during the whole process, I'd like picked up a couple chords here, a couple chords there, try to play a song, and again, get frustrated and put it down. And, you know, eventually I kind of had an epiphany. I was like, you know, if everybody else can do this, I can too. And, you know, with um, some help, I booked up my whole summer. Finally, got a little bit of confidence. Really, my confidence came from 
doing the open mic at Frank Brown and the guitar pools afterwards because some of these people who've written songs on the radio and, you know, really big deal songwriters actually took the time and encouraged me and said, hey, you know, you don't suck at this, so you should, you know, do it. And it really inspired me to want to do it myself. And I've had some great friends influence me. And, you know, it was one of those sink or swim things. You know, everybody says they want to do these things, but unless you just throw yourself out there and do it, you'll wonder for the rest of your life what if. So I literally just, you know, took the biggest what if sink or swim thing I could, and I've just been doing it ever since. So, yeah, really only about seven months now. I did my first ever gig um, in front of people, I think, about seven months ago. So, yeah, that's wow. right. Wow. <laughs> well, um, I do I do have a follow-up question, but first, uh, just to fill the listeners in, I'm sure that uh, at the very least, um, probably way back on episode one, when Shauna P was my guest, uh, listeners, we uh, Shauna P and I probably talked about. Uh, Melissa has referred to Frank Brown. Frank Brown is the Frank Brown International Songwriters Festival, which takes place in November every year in Alabama. It's been going on for gosh over twenty five years now, and I've been to that festival a handful of times, and uh, certainly hope to get back. So um, that's what that's what Melissa is referring to when she, when she mentions Frank Brown. Melissa, you talked about picking up the guitar. So has it all been self taught, or at any point did you say, you know, well, I need to fast track this a bit and and actually sit and get some formal guitar lessons from anyone? No, you know, I wish I had time for that. That's that's been the only bad thing, really, about, um, you know, playing as much. I've had, you know, Nick Branch, Milnap, and John George, just a couple of, you know, local musicians who've taken time, you know, I would squeeze in 30 minutes here, and I would try to watch them, and they would try to teach me, you know, this is going to sound silly to any advanced musician who listens to this, but, you know, bar chords were my, are my hardest struggle. So, you know, just as musicians I just named, like they would take an hour, 30 minutes here and there and try to teach me some techniques that they use that would try to help me. But the biggest thing that I've learned in trying to do this is, you know, you can have the most amazing musicians right in front of you at your fingertips, but everybody has different techniques. So basically everything I do, if you come to one of my live shows as far as, what I do, I've done it myself. Like, I don't sing anything the way you hear it on the radio. I basically take my own interpretations of things. And for me, that's what keeps it fun and fresh, you know, because I hear things in my head and I need to express them the way that I feel them. So really, when you listen to my music, it's more of an expression or what I think something means to me when I play them or sing them. And that's all self-taught. Well, you know, it's uh, it's so encouraging to hear yet another testimony of, of someone talking about uh, the you know the fraternity, the, the the helpfulness of some of these more established players, the singer songwriters. That's that's a large part of of why I do what I do. You know, now hear this uh, doing management and promotion and booking. I just you know my my heart it, it does my heart good to be in this business and to see people. I mean, I've I've sat in those same guitar poles that. That Melissa has referred to, and I've seen those more established songwriters sit with some of the younger up and up and coming uh, participants, you know, because they know that they were there at one point, and uh, you know, everybody struggles with bar chords at the beginning, and whether it's uh, you know bar chords or or whether it's songwriting, the struggle or, is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, and so it's just you know, it's it's just great great testimony that you're giving that there are these accomplished veterans who are giving back to the music business that has already given them so much. Um, I, I, I want to go backwards a little bit, Melissa. You, 
uh, well, wait, before I go where I was headed with that, let, let's go back to the start of the podcast, actually. Uh, it's a little habit that I've gotten into. So with the song that was playing, it's actually called Song Number 11. Uh, what, what would you like the listeners to know about that song as they start getting used to hearing what kind of music you will be writing? Okay, well, it's funny. Um, actually, in back in college, you know, I couldn't really play anything. I knew two chords, and that was it, you know. And if you listen to that song, it's really only two chords. But it was a homework assignment. You had to write about sex, drugs, or love and not use the word sex, drugs, or love. Mm. And so I was like, okay. And it made me think so much of today's popular music it really saddens me because if you go back even 20 years, people had to write a substance. It had to be things that pulled you in. It wasn't super obvious what something was about. You had to be creative. And nowadays, music is just so polluted with the simplest things or just, you know, being vulgar. You don't need to do that to get a point across. And so when I wrote song number 11, I purposely, you know, didn't even title it anything that gives it away because to me, art is being able to take one thing and sing it a whole bunch of different ways. Like, it's kind of clear what that song's about, but I don't use the word. And so that I took that homework assignment and kind of brought it to life. So that's really, you know, what that song embodies. And it's just my desire for, you know, especially younger songwriters, to go outside the box. You don't have to, you know, talk about love and use the word love five million times. You know, be creative. And so song number 11, you know, it's obvious what it's about, but I don't need to say it, you know. Yeah, that's that's great insight. Very very creative. Uh, okay, so where I was heading before in terms of going backwards, your father, uh, John Joyner, is a is a hometown music legend to a lot of people. So you, it would seem, have got a lot of pressure on you. A lot of a lot of eyes watching and ears listening. Yes, uh, exactly. And so, just exactly. talk talk about being in that environment. You know, stepping out to do this, but but knowing that people are, are kind of setting the bar, you know, where, where your father was at? Well, first, I would like to say that, you know, I'm amazingly blessed. You know, I mean, most people, I'll just use the floor band as an example. Most people, you know, want nothing more than to play there. And, for example, on the 50th anniversary party, they had all the musicians that were being honored that had been there forever, you know. And I got asked to come up and sing, and that was a really wow. big deal for me because, you know, I grew up going there as a child so even though I haven't played there for that long it was kind of like a magical moment for me because you know it kind of 360 the experience that I'd been through and you know being my father's daughter of course it's you know let me meet a lot of people who genuinely cared about me you know a lot of people say you know they have a church family or a music family I'm so blessed to say that I truly do I mean I walk in the Florida Bama and you've got people like Bo Roberts or, you know, Rick Whaler, just different people who've been played there forever who really do, you know, treat me like family. Now, on the other hand, are they absolutely harder on me? Of course. But honestly, I think that's why I've been able to do what I've done in such a short period of time because, you know, unlike that annoying little kid that was running around when I was 12 and 13 wanting to be a part of everything, and I wasn't ready. And so, you know, they give me constructive criticism. They push me. But I've had to work twice as hard. Whereas some people, you know, they might go book one or two or three gigs. And, you know, and I'll talk more about how all that booking stuff came along. But, you know, I've had to do everything double just to prove that it's on my own two feet. Like, I've purposely gone and played in places where no one knows me. 
Mm-hmm. And that way, mm-hmm. you know, if I succeed or fail, that's on my own. Yeah. Two it's, feet. It's a great approach. So, well, you've said you've mm-hmm. you've talked about the people around you, but what about Dad himself? You know, does does he put pressure on you? Does he keep his distance? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's supportive. <laughs> he, you know, I um, we do play together. It's a place called Tacky Jacks. It's almost every Saturday. That's the only real gig that we get to play together because we're both so booked separately. And you know, like anything in life, sometimes it's hard to learn things from people the closest to you. But you know, he bought me my first guitar he bought me my first microphone stand like those aspects you know i mean i can't say thank you enough for that and just watching him on stage is what made me go wow that is there's something special and magical about that how can i obtain that but you know he is very hard on me because he expects a lot out of me and in turn it's made me have you know very high expectations for myself like sometimes i wish i could back up and say hey melissa chill out you've only done this you know, seven or eight months, but really, I feel like I've been doing this 50-something years, like all mm-hmm. the other extremely talented people, so it's like little things that I want to get excited about, I'm like, okay, that's awesome, but I need to do something more, you know, and mm-hmm. so with my dad being hard on me, you know, at first it might be like, huh, cut me a break, but really, I'm very grateful for it, because, you know, it makes me work harder, and, you know, if I wasn't at a certain point, or if he didn't believe in me or have faith in me, he wouldn't just you know, not pushing me, he wouldn't say anything. So the fact that I have these people pushing me and wanting more out of me, that lets me know that I am on the life, the right life path and that I am doing the right thing because, you know, you can feel like you're good at something and want to be good at something, but having people behind you support you and push you and believe in you, like that's really what it takes at the end of the day is knowing that it's not just something you want to do, it's something that people see and see you trying to do and they want to push it, whether it be constructive criticism or praise. You need both. You really do. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are starting to see something interesting happening here. Uh, Now here, this entertainment. Last week's guest, Chrissy Chase, as well as on episode 25, when the Redheads were on, both... uh, (laughs) Go Redheads! Had a shout out for that. (laughs) uh, Britta Dodgen from the Redheads and then Chrissy Chase last week both had opera backgrounds, even though they've gone on to country and to pop, respectively. And now you, Melissa, come on the show as someone who went to school on an opera scholarship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I have to tell you this really quick. So I, you know, I was top in the state for my district in 2007 for classically trained music. I went out all for Baldwin County and went to Stanford University to compete in the, comp- the competition. I was the only one there who hadn't had vocal training, and I remember being so intimidated by it. But then you go to college, and I went there on an opera scholarship. And after two years, I had that epiphany. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with an opera degree? Like, I mean, really, what am I going <laughs> to do with it? And so I switched to education, but I was lucky enough to have enough credits for me to have an endorsement. Some people will call it a minor, so I can teach music K-12. through But what I found at first, it was in a, kind of an identity crisis, because here I am in the heart of the Mississippi Delta Blues. Mm-hmm. I got to go to Clarksdale and sing at Ground Zero, and I got to meet some of these people who you will never know their names and they want it that way but their music it mm. just does things to you it moves you it feels like you were back when they were going through those things they sing about and I had an identity crisis because here I am learning opera but I want to sing blues and you know this is before I figured out how to growl or how I figured out how to like use the bottom register of my voice but I remember my teacher saying you've got to kind of pick one because it's stretching you in two different ways and it truly wasn't until last year probably around Frank Brown where I started experimenting and I used opera to benefit me. You know, I give vocal lessons 
to a lot of different people in my area, and really a lot of it's about breathing. And opera has enabled me to use my range. And, you know, when you're a young musician like me, there's two ways you can look at it. You can take your weaknesses and focus on those and try to make them better, or you can take your strengths that you know that you have and try to make those so good that the weaknesses will come up to par. And for me, I know that one of my strengths is my range. Like, I know that I'm very gifted and blessed to have that. And, you know, with that, a lot of it comes from opera. So while I haven't completely abandoned it, I'm very grateful for the influence I've used from it. But you're right, though. I have noticed here lately a lot of people who have had classical training. I think it lends to more discipline, more taking care of your voice, of knowing, you know, what you should and shouldn't do instead of a lot of people who just kind of go at it blindly. Well, I do want to ask you a follow-up question to that, but first, uh, <laughs> I, I caught myself saying this on episode 25 to the Redheads. Uh, it's not polite to ask a woman her age, but you just referred to yourself as as a young artist. Do you, do you care to reveal to the listeners how old Melissa Joyner is? I do not mind. I'm 25 years old, and it's so funny. I've heard stories from people who go to Nashville, because I did go visit it. They're like, well, if you're 25, that's pretty much it for an artist. And I was like, well, I guess it's a good thing I don't really want to do country, because I don't (laughs) believe in the whole age cutoff. I think that if your music is good, it speaks for itself, no matter what you look like or how old you are. I know that's not the popular belief, but I'm going to hold on to that one forever. So that's how I feel. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's come back to that in a minute. But but what I was going to ask you before was when you were talking about opera, and and, and again, um, you know, we're not going to turn you into the uh, into the, the the board of directors of the World Opera Association or whatever they might be called, <laughs> or, or they whatever. would probably prefer that. <laughs> um, but, but but my point is, um, you know, I mentioned uh, Britta Dodge and Chrissy Chase, and now yourself. Now, granted, I can think of uh, actually was my first ever client. She was in, uh, she, you know, she was a pop singer and ended up going the other way and, and going into opera and, and left, um, you know, pop music behind. But uh, she's she's in the minority. You know, again, I know you can't speak for the worldwide opera movement, but why do you think this is that the Brida Dodgins and the Chrissy Chases and the Melissa Joiners Joiners of the world? are doing opera and then saying, I don't think so, and moving on to a different genre? Or or, or at least maybe you can only speak from your own experience. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right, no, I understand. Well, I'll just kind of explain my experience, and I'm glad you asked that because it kind of made me on the fly think about it. But for me, you know, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be the first in my family to graduate college, and I didn't really know how to do it, and I do believe that God gives some people gifts, and mine was music. So I used music to let me go to college, and for me, that was singing the classical music, the French, Italian, the German, this culture, you know, and that let me go to college. And so for me, you know, I threw myself at it, I supported it, I loved it. But opera to me is lyrical ballet. There's so much emotion, and for people who can truly hone into opera, I feel like they're better performers. I think the reason why people don't do opera so much now is unfortunately there's really not a market for it like for example i have gigs every day this week except for monday and tuesday and i know that if i went to those venues and started busting out an italian aria (laughs) they wouldn't understand and unfortunately it's a lack of culture it's a lack of appreciation for art a lack of places for these things yeah i know that somewhere there's like a mobile opera i would love love nothing more than to be involved with that and to use what i know about opera to do it but for me when it comes to songwriting a lot of the reasons why people write songs is because there's something we want to express a story we want to tell and 
it's just, I think, a, a lot of it's a generational thing. You know, if I was back in the romantic period, I might sing a song with opera because that was the avenue that was given to me. But now, you know, getting up with my guitar and just singing my heart out, like, there, there's a market for that. There's places that allow that to happen, whereas there's just not so much. You know, one of my secret things I enjoy doing is composing choral music, but I just don't really yeah. have time. I've chosen that to be my midlife crisis. I'm going to learn to play <laughs> cello and write choral music. <laughs> So I think the people don't do it anymore because it's just, it's really, there's nowhere for them to really do it. You know, we still love it. We still, you know, learn from it, but there's nowhere for us to do it. Sure, sure. Fair enough. Well, let's back up then. You were mentioning, uh, you know, being 25 years old and, and, you know, quite frankly, as, as someone I've said this many times in the podcast, as someone who goes back and forth to Nashville myself, you know, I certainly hear that as well, you know, whether it's in reference to some of my own clients or just, you know, into, to the up and comers in general that, you know, that, oh boy, somebody's, uh, let's say, you know, 21 years old, for example, oh, the clock is ticking. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the other thing that we've covered on this podcast is that, Nashville is not only country music that that's you know that's the prevailing thought out there that well if you're going to do country music you have to go to Nashville that's all they do there well it's not all they do there and and I wonder you know when you do mention some of the people that you've been fortunate enough to meet through uh, Frank Brown and and things like that uh, is there some thought though to at some point to to try to take advantage of some of those contacts and and maybe make a couple trips to Nashville to pursue the type of music that you're doing, or, or are you perfectly content doing it uh, with with Alabama as, as your home base? I mean, to be completely honest, what I know of Nashville is mostly, you know, country music. Like, I got really, really lucky, and I won't say necessarily names, but one of the biggest songwriters in Nashville has a bunch of daughters, and they were going to let me come up there and live with them, and we were going to pursue this musical thing. And after being up there for a while, I only got to see the country version of it and I truly wish I had more time to go up there and explore and see the different genres you know I got to go on music row and meet some of the people who write there and I just you know country music was the only thing that was thrown to me I didn't really get to I was only up there for a couple of days so it's not fair for me to say that it's only country but that's really all that I got to see when I think of my voice type I think of you know old lounge singers or blues or jazz or soul or funk like that's really like what I want to do and I find myself asking myself that question where should I go to do that and for me you know again going back to the fact that I've only done this for so long for me to be in Alabama right now this was where I wanted to grow my legs to stand on my roots to have a concrete you know confidence in myself because if you can't have confidence around people who support and love you, I don't really feel like you're ready to go somewhere where no one knows you. And while I'm completely excited about that part of my life, because I totally plan on doing that at some point, I really wanted to build confidence in myself. You know, like if you would have told me a year ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, and even though it may not seem like a lot to a lot of people, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, and doing the songwriter shootout, my partner, Nick Dibri, and I, we got to select a lot of the music that went into the competition, and I got to hear a lot of different genres, and it made my heart happy to see younger people exploring the different things. But I think when a lot of people hear the word Nashville, they think country. And so I think that, you know, maybe there needs to be some things done to let those people know that it's not just country. Well, speaking for myself, you know, when I hear the word Nashville, I think of country. I do want to set the record straight. Certainly, there's a there's a tremendous market uh, for for music in in Alabama and and, and Muscle Shoals specifically. Listeners, mm-hmm. go back uh, if you haven't already. Listeners, uh, check out episode one 
with uh, Shauna P, who uh, was also on The Voice uh, last year. And, and, and even I remember in, in episode 18 when Sonny Rock, who uh, is a Blues Hall of Famer, uh, he and I talked about um, Muscle Shoals specifically on, on that episode. So, uh, listeners, if you haven't already, go back and listen to those two. Uh, I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Alabama, it's singer-songwriter Melissa Joyner. You can find her on both Facebook and Reverb Nation, so do be sure to find her on those sites and engage with her and support her. Keep up with all that she's doing and find out where she's going to be playing so you can see her perform. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it as well. I say that every week, and I do read it from a script, but it, it means a lot to me, so uh, please heed that advice if you would. Uh, the the support is very much appreciated. Feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. And please, I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast. Post your comments on that Facebook page that I just mentioned. It's facebook.com slash nowhearthisinc, I-N-C. Melissa, I want to get into some some how-did-you-do-that questions. Uh, for starters, I just mentioned your social media. Now, again, you're someone who's trying to fly the I'm new at this flag. Uh, we've already <laughs> stated that you've been, you've been, quote, only playing guitar seriously for about seven months now, yet... You have over 1,300 likes on your music page on Facebook already. How in the world did you do that? Well, I mean, I, you know, a couple things. Before you said that about Muscle Shoals, I actually talked to the guy. I'm doing my first songwriter series in Muscle Shoals, October 19th. So if anybody listening is there, y'all come check it out. Sorry, back to your question. Awesome. I had to do a little shameless publicity there. <laughs> Not at all. Um, Not a problem. Um, actually, the Facebook thing, you know, I was, um, I don't know if I told you this earlier, I'm very blessed. Alabama has a church, and they, on any given Sunday, have up to over 700 people there. It's, um, it's really awesome, and I was asked to be the first ever choir director there. So, you know, first coming back from college, I met so many people there who listened to me. I got asked to sing the praise band there, so I met a lot of people that way. You know, and for a year, I mean, I just put a lot of dudes in. I would get up and just sing places, you know, and just, just to sing and just to get to experience playing with different people. And I'm just one of those really um, people-friendly people everywhere I go. I try to make a friend. I try to share something with them, learn something from them. And, you know, even though I've only been doing this music thing for a small while, people have kind of been watching me my whole life because, you know, I've, I've always made it very known that I love to sing. That's been my passion. So, you know, it's been kind of funny the outpour of people who are just kind of like, well, I was expecting for you to do this at some point, you know. So I've been very blessed to have a lot of support. And when you asked about the numbers, I mean, really just being social media savvy, you know, posting on there, hey, guys, this is my goal. This is what I want to accomplish. Help me accomplish it. You know, if you like what I'm doing, please share it. Please tell your friends. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people may not realize that there's more into it than just writing songs and doing music. You know, you oh, have yeah. to do things and take steps to let people hear it. Yeah, and I don't, so. I don't know how many times on this podcast, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's more often than not. I mean, here we are today, this is episode 28, and probably on at least half of them, you know, we've we've talked about that. It, you know, it sounds like all the glamorous stuff, you know, the singing, the songwriting, the festivals, but it is a business. And so, you know, you do have to put in shameless plugs on a podcast for, 
you know, something mm-hmm. in, in October. And, and you do have to tell people, it's really great to meet you, and I appreciate your support. And, oh, by the way, like my Facebook page. Uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing it on your own, you don't have, you know, a Now Hear This, for example, working for you. You, you have to be your own biggest promoter. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. you're going to sit and stare at that Facebook page and say, well, why aren't I getting more likes? Well, what are you doing to get people to like it? You know, just posting isn't going to get the likes. You need to be, as you said, out there talking to people and, you know, passing out uh, postcards or flyers or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Um, so- I remember, like, last week I got my first ever business cards in, and I remember being excited about it and then feeling, you know, kind of stupid for being excited about it but then i had to tell myself you know that's part of it it's okay to be excited about the small things and the biggest thing is you know to be genuinely humble a lot of people pretend to be but to genuinely put yourself out there by swallowing your pride and saying hey i think you're awesome what did you do to get there and you know sometimes it's hard for especially beginners to do because you don't want to make yourself look insecure but really it's not being insecure it's being smart finding people that you think are good role models Finding people, like I have a friend named Michelle Sansel who's a photographer in this area. She's purposely tried to take me to other venues out of my comfort zone to meet people. It's doing things like going up to people and saying, hey, I think what you did on this song is awesome. What are your advice? Like, what are your ideas? And, you know, it takes a lot of swallowing pride sometimes to go up to these people and ask, but you have to. You really do. Well, you do, and, and, you know, there is also a right way and a wrong way to approach it. And, and quite frankly, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll give a shameless plug for this podcast that people are listening to right now. I mean, that's that's a large part of, of, of what the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast is all about, is, is for the up-and-comers to say, well, I need to learn from someone in the business that's already having success that, that is on a level I can relate to. You know, Bruce might someday surprise us and get... Uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith on the podcast, but I can't relate to Steven Tyler. The guy's a billionaire, and I'm you know mm-hmm. I'm not on the verge of becoming you know the next worldwide sensation. So you know a big part of my aim with the show has been to give the up and comers uh, a, a weekly show that they can listen to that's got people who are already having success in the business that will come on here and answer questions about how did you do this, how did you do that, you know what advice mm-hmm. do you have for approaching people. Uh, and you know, and asking them for advice without it seeming like you know you're trying to uh, you know steal steal all kinds of ideas from them. Right. For me, my biggest thing is you know I got lucky in the beginning to have musical family, musical friends. I had a friend who had already done some developing for some other musicians, and you know he kind of walked me through some things and helped me. But my biggest thing is. You know, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, there are five million people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing. So how do I be unique? How do I be different? How do I make people remember me? When I meet someone for the first time, I want them to remember me. So, you know, when I write something, like, I don't want, you know, if I'm not happy with it, you know, that's really, at the end of the day, as egotistical as this might sound, at the end of the day, if the reason I'm a songwriter is because it makes my soul feel good, if the reason I do what I love because it's for me, then I can never fail. You know, I do this because I love it. It makes me happy. Now, would I love to write a hit song one day? Absolutely. Does it bring me joy to be on stage in front of people and play songs and to watch them dance and clap? Of course. But ultimately, I do this because I love it, and it makes me feel like a complete person. So as long as I have that attitude, I can't ever really fail. Well, and needless to say, you know, you certainly can't quote unquote sell the song that you're singing, meaning bring believability to it if you if you don't feel 
super confident in that song at the end of the day. It's you know, it's just like myself right. that I've you know my pledge has always been I'm not going to take on clients that I don't believe in just for the sake of of picking up a check because my name is on now here this and at the end of the day. You know, I've I've got to believe in what I'm quote unquote selling. That the artists that I'm promoting, if I don't believe in their music, I'm not going to come across very convincingly. So, you know, you've you've definitely got got the right attitude, and it's certainly uh, you know a big part of of why you're having the success that you're having after after just uh, we'll say seven months. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is Facebook should not be the be-all, end-all. If no one shows up at a gig and the venue asks you, didn't you put the word out? Don't say, we put it on Facebook. Surprising as it might seem, everyone still isn't on Facebook and or doesn't have the time to be constantly glued to that platform. My own brother is an absolute musicologist, but he's even not on Facebook. That is today's Bruce's Bonus. So before I said I wanted to get into some how did you do that questions and I asked you about the social media, next is all of these shows that you've been playing. Wow. Right now, I I was doing a little math uh, in preparing for the interview. Right now, you are in the middle of playing five days in a row and will have done 22 shows in August alone, sometimes playing twice in one day. I know your counterparts mm-hmm. that are listening would love to hear how you've been getting so much work for someone who is ahem, new to all of this. <laughs> well, you know, I do have to, you know, give one important shout-out. There's a man named Nick Bibbery who approached me um, a long time ago when I first, you know, on Facebook started, you know, wanting to play I, I got a gig with my dad starting the very very beginning of this and he had an idea about a songwriter shootout but he knew that I was very well connected with the people he knew that I was a songwriter myself and that I had really good ideas as far as creating things and in exchange for helping with the shootout like he showed me how to book how to do these things and my biggest thing to tell people if they were to wonder how I got so many gigs is it's all about finding that one person that believes in you because Things really do work like what I'm about to say. For example, I had two gigs that were played. So then the next thing is really all about how you sell yourself. If you go to someone and say, hi, my name's Melissa Joyner. I play here and here. Give me a chance to play here, you know. And then because you've already played these other places, it's more believable. And a lot of it really is about reputation and your name spreading, you know. At first, I, you know, with his help, would call. You, you've got to hear no. Sometimes I would call people and they either wouldn't want to pay me what I valued myself at or they wouldn't want to do live entertainment or they would say yes and give me one day and then they would hear me and I was either a fit or not and I've been very blessed and lucky that everywhere I've played they've asked me to come back but a big part of it is you know going there figuring out what it is they want and providing a product that they you know want back for more and my thing is is just going out and doing it and having confidence in yourself, having value in yourself and, you know, start playing a couple of smaller places that lead to bigger places. Um, I just recently helped one of my friends get his first gig and I told him, I was like, you know what, now that you have this one gig, use it to your advantage. Go to another place. Say, hey, come check me out here. I play here. And it's like a big spider web. It's really, you know, 
what I did. I, I looked up places that I wanted to play. I called them. And the cool part was, you know, at the beginning, I was calling them. And now it's exciting to see my hard work turn around because now I have places calling me, asking me to play, asking me to fill in. And it's like if you can put in a lot of really hard work in the beginning, towards the end, you don't have to do as much. I'm very lucky that I don't have yeah, to really absolutely. what they call me now. So it's really exciting. Very much so. Uh, in the lead-up to today's interview, you told me, that despite getting your teaching degree in music endorsement, you ended up deciding that you didn't want to, to teach or even wait tables anymore. So you bought the guitar and, as you mentioned earlier, adopted the, the sink or swim mentality. Mm-hmm. Obviously a, a scary but courageous move and perhaps not you know one not too well received um, around <laughs> family and friends or, 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 or am I wrong and, and you got the support right away just could just kind of walk the listeners through that that whole period of time you know when when you were making that decision well for me you know it was funny um my my first ever gig i'm saying this to answer your question my first ever gig i brought about 40 people with me and i had the mindset of well i should invite all my friends to support me i was terrified like, let me tell you how terrified I was. I'd broken my first string right before my gig started. I didn't even really oh, know how to change strings yet. But here I am about to go walk into a venue and play a gig. It was completely packed. There was no room. And I looked out in the audience and I said, what did I do? All these people are really good musicians. Why did I invite really good musicians to my first ever gig? And I remember after my first song, they clapped for me. And I was embarrassed. I don't know why. I guess because I was just so nervous. And that moment i think if i always hold on to that moment i'll never get cocky or you know be confused or anything like that because for me that was my beginning and you know my mom god love her didn't really want me to be a musician because you know her goal was to always send me to college she wanted me to go she wanted me to get a degree she wanted to be secure stable and safe and my father was a musician and so you know she had never really heard me outside of a classical opera stance and I remember she came uh-huh. to my first gig, and after it, she was like, Melissa, I get it. This is what you're supposed to do. You love it. Wow. She's like, you know what? Wow. At least I can sleep at night knowing that you have a degree to fall back on. You know, and I have <laughs> had some resistance. What I have found doing this is you find out who your real supporters are, and you find out that jealousy sometimes is a really big and sad thing because you see some people who used to be your friends or used to who used to support you, and they see how quickly that you've accomplish things and they no longer choose to be your friend or they you know say things to try to hurt you and really all that's done is give me inspiration for songs and made me work harder because you know i think that having natural talent is completely 100 percent organic and real and that's what it comes down to but there are other things that you know it takes and i've worked really really hard with help from others to do the things that i've done and you know, I'm just, I'm not going to stop. And I think that, you know, with all the support I've had, and I think that anytime you do something, you're going to have negative things. You just got power through them. So to answer your question, I've been met with both. You know, I've had overwhelming support. I've had the, are you sure you want to do this? Or, and I've had, I can't believe she's doing this so quickly. Why is it so easy? (laughs) It shouldn't be this easy. She should have to work harder. Well, folks, I'm working really hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, we have talked about your guitar playing and, and even your singing, at, at, at least to the operatic extent. But what about songwriting? When and how did you start into that? 
You know, it's funny. I've never really taken the time to think about that question. I'm glad you asked it. You know, as an awkward teenager, I'm sure I had plenty of crushes on boys, and I would write stupid poetry <laughs> about, you know, stupid, embarrassing stuff that I would die if anybody ever read. But I think in life, sometimes people go through things, and some people choose to express themselves differently. For me, it was writing. But it would get frustrating because I would write poem after poem after poem and not know how to turn it into song. And so one day, I was like, you know what? Maybe if I just kind of, like, sang it. Because I would get to go, you know, there's Sonny Throckmorton and Mike Kilo and my dad and different musicians would get together when they were writing their album and or different musicians. And I would just kind of hear them. So I always knew what songwriting was, but I didn't know how to do it. But I knew that I liked to write about just things and I liked to read. And so really, I just started writing poetry. And then when I got in music, I... I was in choir, I was in opera, and they had this songwriting class. And I thought to myself, I was like, that should be awesome, why not? And so <laughs> I took it and then immediately realized I was in over my head because here are these people playing instruments and using GarageBand. I didn't have a, mm. a good computer at the time. I didn't know what GarageBand was. And wow. I just remember wow. wanting to go home and cry because I was so in over my head. And then mm. I just started writing things and singing it, and other people would kind of play along with it. And I realized I really wanted to do it. And I remember, you know, I entered the first ever songwriting competition last year in October. And that was the first time I'd ever done it. And I was on stage with um, an eight-year-old girl. And my song was on or out. And my hook was, you better turn me on before I turn you out. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't sing this song. But it was the only song that I'd really written. But I just, I did uh -huh. it. <laughs> I did it anyway. Like, what are you going to do, you know? And uh, <laughs> but basically, it was that moment. I was just, you know. I was like, I want to do this. I have thoughts, I have feelings, and, you know, I'm really good at writing poetry. And to me, poetry is just songs without music. So for me, the day that I figured out how to put music to it, that's when I realized that's what I wanted to do. Gotcha. I kind of ramble. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today in the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Alabama is singer-songwriter Melissa Joyner. You can find her on both Facebook and on Reverb Nation. Be sure to find her on those sites and engage with her, support her, keep up with all she's doing, find out where she's going to be playing so you can go see her perform. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz. That's H-E-A-R for the spelling challenge, as I've said in the past. Sign up for the e-newsletter there. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell others about it, too. Feel free to use the social media buttons to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. You can even subscribe to the Now Hear This YouTube channel. And please uh, do give your feedback about the podcast, either via email or post your comments on the Now Hear This Facebook page. Melissa, we were just talking about your start into songwriting. Uh, you and I have some mutual acquaintances, and, and no surprise that some of them are songwriters. Do you have somebody that, and I don't know, I'm not, well, I won't even say that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you have a mentor? Have you gotten an opportunity um, you know, to work with enough veteran songwriters where maybe there's, you know, one person that, that's kind of your, your go-to guy or gal? Well, you know, of course, my father, like, it's, it's funny. <laughs> that's it's what more I didn't want to say. That's what I thought you were going to say, and I figured I'd leave it <laughs> okay. out. No surprise. You know, um, I basically, you know, the more confident I get, I try to rely more on, like, my own opinions or beliefs of things that I've done. But, you know, I will probably for the rest of my life always send my songs to my father. And what's so funny about it is he 
why it's a little bit more old school. You know, he, he grew up in a different time period, like traditional songwriting, and it's just a little bit different. Like, there's some different rules that can be applied now, and it's always funny for him to, you know, give me constructive criticism, and a lot of the times, you know, I take it and I change it, or I'll take what he says, and because I extremely value his opinion, but what's, it kind of makes me giggle to hear, like, just the differences in the way music is today versus, you know, someone who writes a different style. And so as far as that, you know, I've, there's so many great songwriters here that have offered to write with me and work with me. I will say that as a disadvantage to being as booked as I am is I haven't had a chance to. I've got schedules set and dates set to meet with these people. And so I'll be able to answer that question better once the busy season slows down. But, mm-hmm. you know, the I've been writing with a musician named Mel Knapp here recently, and basically he just plays all this amazing music, and I'd be like, well, what do you think about this line? Or what do you think about this line? And actually, the song Troubles was created that way. It was like 6 a.m. in the morning, and he'd play a riff. I'd like, play it again, and then I would write a line that <laughs> matched it. And so as far as, like, influences, really, I'll be somewhere, like, in Walmart. I mean, every every songwriter can agree with what I'm about to say. If you have a smartphone or anything, your phone is full of random little sayings or random writings because it just, you know, inspiration's everywhere. But as far as, like, people I send my stuff to... That's why it sits on the bedside table, so when you wake up at 3.15 with an idea, you can record it and go back to sleep. (laughs) Mm, I try to be careful of who I send stuff to. You know, earlier on, I say earlier on, like, I've done this forever, but, like, you know, (laughs) one or two or three months into it, I would write a new song and I would send it out to everybody because I was just so excited, you know, and mm-hmm. as I've progressed, I've had to realize that you can't really do that. Um, there's another musician, Alan Hartzell, he does a, a open mic at Old 27 Grill and he did a really big songwriter night and, you know, it's, he's one of those tough love musicians and so he was really <laughs> good about, you know, kind of like tearing some of my songs apart, but it was, it was good for me, you know, he's helped out. Um, just, I mean, different people, you know, like some people who will tear your songs apart but it, you come out so much better for it. You know, I'm doing the Mississippi Songwriters Festival coming up soon in September, and I know that, you know, I'm going there for the purpose of, like, the guitar pulls and different things because that's when you sing your songs, yeah, and that's when yeah. they go, oh, hey, well, this would be cool if you tried this. Right. So really, that's mainly my reason for doing festivals is, you know, the brotherhood and sisterhood of getting together and going, well, hey, what about this? Or try this. Absolutely. So I don't, well, I don't really have anyone that I, you know... I don't really have necessarily one single mentor to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, have a huge extensive music family that just, you know, gives me advice and input. Sure, so sure. Yeah, fair that. enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, if, if you aren't diverse enough already, uh, I, I mentioned in the, in the intro about uh, being ranked number one right now in Reverb Nation uh, for uh, blues, Americana, jazz, uh, for, for Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, you started to to allude to this a little bit before that that you are the first ever choir director at the Floribama Church. I, I know that one client of mine in particular, but lots of people certainly gain tremendous benefit from from being involved in the music ministry at church. At church, it, it teaches you a bunch of different lessons outside of of what you're used to doing in your everyday songwriting and show playing. But but yet mm-hmm. those lessons, those benefits from being involved in the music ministry at church, they still carry over. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just as far as support alone, you know, it's, do you know what true love is? Is when you can get a whole bunch of Christians to come to a bar and hear you sing because <laughs> they support you and love you that much. I mean, my family at church is probably, and everybody says this, but um, I can almost cry. I'm just so blessed by it. I mean, they, 
my very first day of church there, I sat in the very back row. Nobody knew me. And then somehow a month later, I'm up on stage singing. Wow. You know, like wow. that's just how things just kind of work there. You know, they support you. They, and not even the lessons. You know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, one of my friends is a bass player, and she led her church worship service. I swear, it's like church musicians have like the best timing. And the, I guess I would say more... Um, maybe more just on task, maybe, I would I would say, maybe, because, you know, they're used to scheduled rehearsals and practices, and, you know, there's just a whole thing to be said about church music because it's very rooted in some theory and just different things, and if you can hold on to that tied into your music, you get some pretty cool things out of it. Not to mention just, you know, so many people who go to church go because they want to support one another. And so if you are in a church and you you know, do some endeavor outside, they're going to support you. So earlier when you asked me why I had so many likes, I mean, I would definitely attribute to that as well. You know, any musician who's just like me starting out, find somewhere to belong, you know, find somewhere where you're going to find people who support you and love you and care about you and want your best because that's where you build a fan base. That's how you do those things. That's my experience anyway. Well, and, and earlier in the interview, you, you mentioned about being genuine, and uh, you know, if if you're genuine about this, I mean, it says in the Bible that you know you'll be repaid tenfold. And 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 the beautiful thing, truly, in in, in my opinion, uh, as a believer, is is when people get involved in the church ministry and they just do it mm-hmm. because they want to worship the Lord through music, uh, and, right. and and the other things follow, you know, be, because He does pay us back tenfold with with His many blessings. Uh, and and my point being that if you just go there being genuine and say, I want to worship the Lord through music, and you don't go there with business cards in your back pocket and postcards exactly. in your briefcase and flyers in your guitar case, thinking, well, this might be a way to reach people about my... No, 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 no. That's not the place to be right. promoting yourself. It will just happen, and, and, and that's what you're that's what you're experiencing, and, and, and you know that's obviously the Lord's hand in that, so that's, that's a beautiful story. Actually, that's what you know, made me do it. I went to church, and Pastor Jeremy Mount was his whole lesson that day, and it's real quick, and we'll try not to ramble, was <laughs> what do you do to give back for what God's given you? And I remember going, man, you know, God's given me so much. What am I doing? I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And so I caught it this, that I'm a school teacher and I'm a musician. That's about it. That's all I got. So if y'all need to use me anyway, <laughs> go ahead. And then I found myself leading choir. And, you know, I taught fourth grade. I didn't know how to lead adults. And I found out that leading adults was the hardest thing ever. But... We formed our first choir, and we sang in front of about seven to eight hundred people the first time, and it was awesome. And it was it was life changing. And I can't do it during the summer; I'm so busy. It'll start back up in winter, but it was the coolest thing I've ever done. No matter what I do in my life, that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. Was getting to be a part of that. So well, and yeah, yeah. And, and it's you know the the statement about. You know, utilizing the talents that God gave you, um, listeners. If if you haven't heard this, uh, heard me say this on, on previous episodes, um, I make no secret about the fact that episode eleven with uh, Lindsay McCall, who's a, a national recording and touring Christian artist, that was my favorite episode to date. And she and I, we lifted up the Lord's name an awful lot on on that podcast. But uh, you know, I I submitted on that 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 perhaps, uh, and, and this sounds like a, a joke because it's an old cliche, but I feel like I've been blessed with the gift of gab and and have used that talent, um, you know, to put together this podcast so that I can help the up and comers, uh, you know, that I referred to earlier. Um, Melissa, we're 
almost out of time, um, but I mentioned in the intro that you will be recording this month, and, and <laughs> Lord knows where you're going to find the time, what with all these shows you're playing. I mentioned uh, 22 shows in August alone, and sometimes two in one day. So uh, where will you record? Uh, w- will this be an EP or a full CD? Are you targeting a certain date or, or maybe event to have it finished by? What What can people expect? Okay, well, everything is super, super beginner because I felt like even though I've done a lot in one year, I kind of felt like I couldn't record my first ever true EP in one year. I feel like I need to experience a lot of life. But because I hosted a songwriter shootout, one of our sponsors was Three Frog Studios in Troy, Alabama, and they've agreed to give me two songs um, there. So I'm definitely going to do that. And, you know, I told you if you listen to the song Troubled, I've been writing more with a new partner. And so I, uh, I booked a songwriter series thing in uh, Muscle Shoals. I really want to go explore Muscle Shoals. My goal right now as far as recording, I want to go to a bunch of different recording studios and meet a lot of people and, you know, I know that when I find that place, I'll I'll feel it. And so, that's really what I'm doing. But for right now, I'm going to definitely take advantage of those two songs and see what comes out of that. But that is my ultimate goal. But I definitely feel like I need to do more and write more before I record my first ever EP. But I'm definitely getting close. Well, that's great. That's great. And, and obviously, um, you know, it's it's good to have that available to you that, that you can at least get in and record two songs. Um, mm-hmm. Lastly, uh, Melissa, we're going to close out the show today uh, with the song of yours called Troubles. You've, you've alluded to it a couple times. And I do always like to, to give the guest an opportunity to talk about what the listeners are about to hear, uh, you know, as, as the podcast ends. So take us, if you would, inside that song, in, inside, take us inside the song Troubles. Okay, well, first of all, I have to give credit. Mel Knapp and I wrote that song together. He played the guitar and the bass on the recording that you hear. And it was one of those late night, just it hits you and it hits you hard. I think we wrote the song about maybe like less than 10 minutes. And it just it just came and wow. came and came. And wow. I think everybody goes through different things. And one thing we can agree on, that trouble is trouble no matter what. Different <laughs> levels, it doesn't matter. It still sucks and still hurts just the same. So... You know, this story, it's kind of clear to see what this person's trouble was, but it's just, it's haunting and it's real. And that's why I love this song so much because it's just, it feels so real and that's why I like it. Hey, well, I, I, Short I always, and simple. <laughs> well, thank you though. I, I, I always look forward to this part of the show. You know, that's, that's, I think it's important, you know, for the listeners to not only be entertained by the song that they hear, but kind of know uh, what, what went behind, um, you know, what was in the story and, and what went behind that putting it together. So uh, as has become standard operating procedure, I would like to close by formally thanking my guest, singer-songwriter Melissa Joyner. Melissa, thank you uh, for, for making the time again, having just come off the road. I appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And uh, as I've said before, do please find Melissa on Facebook and Reverb Nation. Be sure to engage with her on those two sites. Keep up with what she's doing. Keep up with where she will be playing. You hear uh, throughout this podcast about all the live shows that she does. And as I've mentioned, don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz. Sign up for the email newsletter there. It's very simple. All you put in is your email address. There's no other fields to complete. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, family, neighbors, 
neighbors, relatives, coworkers about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, too. That helps quite a bit. Uh, hopefully, you'll even like it enough to click uh, five stars to give it a, a highest rating. If you're listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and share episodes on that platform. And as I mentioned before, uh, let's get your feedback on the show, too. Post your comments on the Now Hear This Facebook page. There are links to that and to Twitter and YouTube on nowhearthis.biz. We've been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in Crystal Blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song by Melissa Joyner. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Troubles. Name